Welcome to only the second ever Sunday edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a newsletter and podcast that seeks a regular schedule but has yet to place the booster rockets in place to achieve the correct orbit. Today's edition is intended to begin a week of catching up with segments mostly from the month of May. I'm Sean Tubbs, ready to launch. On today's program, Charlottesville police announce follow-up charges and indictments in recent shootings but are investigating two more from Saturday. In land use, city officials have denied a final site plan submission for a project in Fry Spring. The third of three modules for the city's new zoning code is available for public review. And candidates for city council face questions from Charlottesville United for Public Education. today's first shout out since the beginning of this newsletter one patreon supporter has dedicated their shout out to an organization that seeks to draw awareness of the importance of native species to the ecosystem as we approach the summer plant northern piedmont natives want you to know that they printed over 9280 copies of their guide piedmont native plants a guide for landscapes and gardens In this document, Piedmont native plants are defined as plants that evolved before the influences of European settlements began to shape and change the landscape. Plants included in the guide were selected from the Digital Atlas of the Virginia Flora and occur naturally within the region. You can download your copy today for free. And thank you to that Patreon supporter for letting you know. The Charlottesville Police Department continues to investigate two shots fired incidents on Saturday in the city, including one on Prospect Avenue that left one person injured. That took place in the 700 block of that roadway through Fifeville. A second shooting was reported three hours later at 3rd Street Northeast and East Jefferson Street. No injuries or property damage was reported, and I'm continuing to follow up, and a question is out to the police department for more information. In the meantime, there's an article in the Charlottesville Daily Progress that you might want to check out as well. This past week saw follow-up on three previous shootings from last fall. On May 23rd, a grand jury indicted Marcel Durrell Washington of North Carolina on three counts related to the murder of 31-year-old Devon Wilson on October 23rd of last year. The indictments are one count of second-degree murder and two counts of malicious wounding. A press release for that incident said that the additional indictments stem from two other victims who were injured by gunfire during the shooting, which occurred on the downtown mall. In other grand jury action, Tadashi Demetrius Keyes of Charlottesville has been indicted on first-degree murder in the January 28th slaying of city resident Eldridge Smith. That has been upgraded from the original charge of second-degree murder. Keyes has also been indicted on one count of the use of a firearm in the commission of a felony. Both Wilson and Keyes are in custody at Albemarle Charlottesville Regional Jail, according to the Charlottesville Police. Earlier in the week, Charlottesville Police also brought forth new charges in the March 4th killing of Justice Kalel in the Sunshine Mini Mart on Cherry Avenue. 20-year-old Nasir Floyd McGee of Albemarle County is the second person to be charged with second-degree murder, joining a 17-year-old juvenile. McGee has been in custody for a malicious wounding charge in the same incident. You can learn more in a link to a press release in the newsletter. 
The Charlottesville Department responsible for approving land use applications has denied a final site plan for the Azalea Springs development in the Fry Spring neighborhood. In a letter to the developer, Stanley Martin Holmes, City planner Matt Alfley has said that city staff made a good faith effort to identify all deficiencies within the submission. However, he also stated that there are deficiencies that, if left uncorrected, would lead to the violation of local, state, or federal law regulations or mandatory engineering and safety requirements. This is the kind of language that's used in other denial letters issued by NDS. Similar ones issued in recent months have been for Belmont condominiums and the proposed 245-unit development in the floodplain off of East High Street. In this case, the Azalea Springs development is a 45-lot single-family neighborhood that would be built between Monte Vista Avenue and Azalea Drive on property that had been platted out decades ago for a development that was never built. These denial letters are routine and list specific items that must be remedied. Some can be quite technical, such as a note from NDS that three of the 45 lots don't conform with setback regulations. Another in the May 22 letter is a request for proof that there's an easement for pedestrian and bicycle access. Most of the issues and questions in this letter come from Hugh Blake, an engineer in the Department of Public Works. In all, he has three dozen comments related to stormwater and other public works-related issues. There is a comment from the fire department that the road design is not sufficient for their access. They require a 70-foot cul-de-sac diameter, and the proposal is for a 60-foot cul-de-sac, hence the fire department will not approve this particular submission. The denial late states clearly that another submission will be reviewed. Anyone who may have been reserving judgment on Charlottesville's new zoning code now has a more complete picture of the rules for how the city would become a place with more residential density. Consultants with Roadside and Harwell, as well as staff at the city of Charlottesville, have released the third of three modules of the draft zoning code. This is all part of the Seville Plans Together initiative, which has already seen results in city council's adoption of an affordable housing plan, as well as an updated comprehensive plan. Module 1 covered the basic parameters for new zoning districts, and Module 2 provided more details, such as landscaping and parking requirements. There are two articles in Module 3. That's according to Christy Dodson of the firm Code Studio. The first is Article 5, and this is subdivision and development plan standards. Uh, in Article 6, this is where we're talking about administration, and this covers the authority, so different review boards and the different processes and which of those review bodies has authority over those review processes. This conversation comes from a webinar that is available online. Dodson said Article 6 is perhaps the most technical because it lays out who gets to decide for every possible scenario. Want a comprehensive plan amendment, including a change to the future land use map? City Council will have the final decision after a public hearing after the Planning Commission gives its recommendation. Want to review public facilities that may be part of a new development or project to see if they conform with the comprehensive plan? The Planning Commission gets to decide without a public hearing, but an applicant could appeal a decision to City Council. Again, no public hearing. Almost all properties across the city will receive a new zoning district, but a landowner could still ask for a change. That process would look similar to today, but the new zoning will grant more residential density overall. 
Most projects would then be by right, which would mean the zoning administrator would have the final decision with an appeal to the planning commission that would still have to be approved if all of the technical details were met. The top zoning official in the city would also give approvals on tree removal permits, permits to build in the floodplain, sign permits, and temporary use permits. Any appeal would go to the Board of Zoning Appeals. Critical slopes waivers would still go to the Planning Commission and the City Council, but a public hearing would not be required. Today's article is just a brief summary that I'll dig into later, but if you can't wait, there are links to the detailed materials for Module 3 in the newsletter. A consolidated draft of all three modules with a new zoning map made from public comment is currently scheduled to be ready by the final week of July. Changes will include updates on the sections related to lighting standards to reduce light pollution and to move standards for blocks, access, and streets from Module 2 to Module 3. Here's some more on the schedule from Jennifer Koch of the firm Roadside and Harwell. Later this year, the city expects to start hearings with the Planning Commission and Council as a move toward adoption. But before then, there are several milestones. First, city staff and the consultants will hold an open house at City Space on June 14th from 4.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Public comment on Module 3 will be taken through June 18th. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported public service announcement, the Jefferson Madison Regional Library wants you and your family to read as much as you can this summer. For encouragement and incentives, they're holding another summer reading challenge. Registration is open now on the Beanstack app for the summer-long event, which runs June 1st through August 31st. Collect prizes for the best summer activity, reading! The theme this year is All Together Now, and there will be various kickoff parties at JMRL branches over the next few weeks. The one at the Central Library will be on Saturday, June 10th from 10 a.m. to noon. There will be music, food, and fun. The Friends of the Library will pop up a mini book sale and a books on bike parade will be held. Visit jmrl.org to learn more about the Summer Reading Challenge. One more segment today, election-related, and it's mostly in the newsletter. You can go read it, because I'm not going to say everything that's written. Primary elections in Virginia are 23 days away, and many have already cast their ballot on who should be one of the three Democratic nominees for city council. June 20th is also the last day for prospective candidates for elected school boards in Virginia. In Charlottesville, there is so far only one candidate that has filed paperwork with the Virginia Department of Elections for school board, and that's Amanda Burns. Another candidate who has announced, but so far doesn't show up in the Department of Elections records, is Chris Meyer, who ran in 2019. 
There have been many forums for the five Democratic candidates for city council, but the group Charlottesville United for Public Education opted to send specific questions. And that's where I'm going to have to direct you to the newsletter, because this one is all written, and uh, that's the end of the show. Sometimes the podcast gets more than the newsletter, sometimes the other way around. But for now, it's on to the end. are at the end of number 538. Today, the Charlottesville Daily Progress announced they are going to three editions a week, print editions. This happens at the same time I am making structural changes behind the scenes to ramp up to seven days a week. Not there yet. We'll get there. This is something I believe can be made possible due to the number of people who are paying me to provide information as often as I can. I'm going to grow, and I need more subscribers to make that happen. This is the point of Town Crier Productions, a company I formed three years ago to try to get ready for the day when our local daily stopped being there as a dispensable community resource. I believe that between my work and that of my colleagues in media, we can keep the information flowing. And Ting will match your initial Substack subscription. And this is a great day to do that. The next time, I will tell you some of what comes with that. Again, that's in the newsletter. And for now... Goodbye.